we were doing it or not. So um, with the differences today. So thank you for putting up with me. Let me ask you a question. So in cultural issues, any cultural issue, just pick the one that's your issue. Don't say it out loud. What sides, what, what people tend to be the loudest? The angriest? The hurt people. Unbelievers. Is that about sum it up for everybody? The what? The impatient people. So that I, and, I, and I hesitate to mention issues, but let's just pick one because it's, it's one that might be personal to you, but it's not really personal in, the, in a sense. So let's pick like climate change, right? Let's just take that one as an example. And I, what does that have to do with Matthew, um, um, Matthew chapter, what are we in? Nine, eight, nine. Uh, Matthew, nine, then like I, the answer is nothing really other than he's king of climate too. But but think about like the, the voices you hear, and just, just as an example, something like climate change. You hear the people on either end of the spectrum because they are the most angry. They are like they're the loudest people because, because they're the most passionate about that issue. And so if you were to take those people and put them into groups like, and you were to number them one, and it doesn't matter which side is the one. So let's say one is that the world is gonna, is gonna the climate is going, in two years we're all doomed. And let's take number four, which is there's no such thing as climate change at all. Those extremes. Like there's, there's nothing changes. The weather never changes. Let's take those two extremes. Let's just say, right? Those are the people you hear about the most. Part of that's because they're the angriest. Part of that's because, oh, by the way, our media and social media and all the things that we, like they, they, we feed on anger. As part of this broken world, we feed on anger. So guess what they feed us? Angry things. Right? So, so there's a huge, so, but, but here's the thing. Between one and four, there are two numbers, two and three. So if you're a two, maybe you're like, yeah, there's probably something to this climate change thing. I don't think the world's going to end. Or you're a three, you're like, yeah, I think that, man, they're making way too big a deal out of this. And, and, but, but I'm not here to say that the climate isn't changing at all. The question becomes, whatever your issue is, which way are you looking? Because the reality is most of us, most of the people like, that, that are, are the silent majority that fit in the messy middle. The problem is what's happening more and more in our culture all the time on all kinds of issues is the twos and the threes that are the majority of the people are looking at the ones and the fours. So if you're a, if you're a three, you're looking, at the, you're looking over here at the, at the um, I'm sorry, if you're a two, you're looking over here at the one going, well, this sort of makes more sense and you start moving that direction. Or if you're a three, you're like, yeah, well, this, these are more my people because I'm, I'm seeing more and more of my people move out of like what I think and so, so this must be the right way to think. And so the twos and threes are getting smaller and smaller and smaller because everybody is polarizing. We've talked about like tribalism and how we're all camping up around our own particular issues. Guys, the same thing was true in the day of Jesus. It wasn't climate change. But what you had, you, Jesus entered into a world just like today, where you had two, you had two groups of people, the, the ungodly, the completely ungodly, and then you had the hyper-religious moral people that were the loudest. And then you had a whole bunch of people in the middle just trying to figure it out. The ones, he, the ones he's preaching to on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, the ones that he's talking to, the, the people that are coming to him for healing, these are just the messy middle people. Like us, hopefully. 
And the question becomes, are, are, were they going to look to, they had the, the fours, let's say the fours of the Pharisees going, in order for you to get right with God, this is how you have to live morally. Keep all 600 plus rules. Right? Or you have the completely ungodly that were going, you know what, oh, there is no God. Or if there is, his name is Caesar. Right? And so we should just let the government handle all of it. What, what he enters into is a space, and what he's been showing us, what Matthew has been showing us, that Jesus is trying to show us, is I am king of all of it. And so the key is, what do I say about the cultural issues? What do I say about what's going on in the world? What am I saying about the kingdom? And so with that, what does that have to do with this, this message today? Open up your Bibles, if you're not there yet, like I'm not, to Matthew chapter 9. And, and we're ta- in, in this series that we're talking about um, the kingdom of heaven, we have seen Jesus show himself to be um, a, an authority over all things. And in a world where he showed himself, I, I, I have the authority to do miracles when I want to. Up close, in person, from, just by speaking a word. I also have authority to calm, the, like to command all of creation, to calm the storms. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. And then last week, he shocked everybody and said, oh, by the way, I have authority to forgive sin, to save the sinner. Now that same, that same thing he's going to roll into and he's going to say, and oh, by the way, I have authority to do a new thing. Now, here's the uniqueness about Jesus' new thing. It isn't new as in throw out the old. Jesus, last week, affirmed Hosea chapter 6. He tells them, go back and look at what the prophets say. He doesn't say get rid of the Old Testament. He practices the Passover every year. That isn't getting rid of the Old Testament. So when I say doing a new thing, Jesus' idea of new is to say, I'm, I'm taking you back. It's not, I, I want to do a new thing by getting rid of the old, the old Testament, I guess, would that be this way for you guys? The Old Testament this way? The old Test, I'm getting rid of the Old Testament for you guys. He's saying, I want to take you back to the garden. I want to take you back to the new thing that was the way it was supposed to be before the, before the bad thing happened that led to this old thing. Because everything else we see, both extremes are a product of the rebellion. And so today, what we're going to be looking at is this question of how does, God, how does the mission of God call us to get out of our comfort zone. Because in these short verses that I'm going to look at, I'm just going to take a few minutes today, shortened up message, um, because we have other things going on. But guys, understand, like, what, what he is telling us is, I, I want to describe what it's supposed to be like. Not what the people, not what the fours, not what, what the super hyper religious people have made it into. Also, not what the holy ungodly people have forgotten all about. Right? And, and ultimately, the new thing he's looking at is the new thing of, like, back in the garden. So all of this is sort of being told under, the, under this umbrella of story. Right? The, the whole Bible is story from beginning to end. And so today, in, in, this, in this short time that I have, I'm going to just sort of tell the, this passage, not from bullet points. There are no, there are no, it's not a three-point sermon, but, it, but it's just this, the idea of there is my story or your story, there is our story, and then there's the story. Now, the problem with us is, we like to be honest, like Doug wants everything to be about my story, and you want things to be about your story. The way Paul Tripp ta- talked about it in today's reading in the Sunday Matters book that some of us have is he talks about, because to get rid of this like meistic part of us, the me part of us, we have to gather as our, as like our story to be reminded that, that life isn't just about me, 
But guys, there's even more to that. We gather today the way I started our time today was we're not here to even talk about our story just because it's the church's anniversary. We're here primarily to talk about the story. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so that's where we're going to start. That's really what the, the, most of my time is going to be spent on is talking a little bit about like how is he conveying in this short time that the story is not what the religious people had made of it. And, and how, how is following Jesus going to take you out of your comfort zone in maybe what you've made from your background, whether, whether you didn't grow up in a Christian home or, or you did, but your, but your home was very legalistic or um, whatever it was, like how does your past story, how has it impacted what you're bringing to what you're even seeing in God's word? So let's pick it up and and look at this idea of the story from chapter 9, verse 14. Before we get to chapter verse 14, let me start with just the thing above chapter verse 14. At least in my Bible, there's a thing that's called a pericope. It's a title. What's it say? What's yours say? Question about fasting. Don't really like the pericopes very much. I mean, these people that write them, they're not inspired. They weren't in the original manuscripts. It's the, it's the publisher of the books that are coming together to translate. Guys, and these people are way smarter than me. So I'm not going to argue with the publishers of the ESV who sat down the, the team that, did Matt, that, that, that translated Matthew and go, you shouldn't have written this here, except they shouldn't have written this here. Because this isn't a question about fasting. This is a question about kingdom. Right? This isn't like just some little aside where Jesus is going to teach on fasting. This is a story that Matthew's telling to show, hey, Jesus is saying, I have authority to break down your church walls. That's what the story's about. It's not about fasting. Fasting is just the question they ask, and I'll tell you why. So look at what it says. It says, then the disciples of John came to him. Now, in Luke's account of this, it says the disciples of John and the Pharisees. So it's an interesting combination of people. They're the ones that are in the house. We left them last time in the house. They're, they come to him, and they say, why do, you, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but, the disciple, but your disciples do not fast? Guys, understand, what he's saying, what, what they're asking him is, now, now think about where we left off. They were asking him all kinds of questions. So where we left off was, he had healed the guy on the mat and said, your sins are forgiven. Well, who's allowed to forgive sin? That, 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 but that's what they asked. Who is this dude that says he forgives sin? Only God can forgive sin. He's like, yeah, but I'm God. And then he's like, remember, and then, and then he goes, oh, and he doubles down, and he goes and he eats with tax people. Like, you know, like it's, it's like going to H&R Block and having lunch. And, he's, and they're like, who is this dude? Now, if you work for H&R Block, I love you. Jesus loves you. Um, I, yeah, I, I, that's not the point. But guys, the point, he's, he's hanging out. With, and what do they say? Why does he hang out with sinners? Now here's the question they're asking. They're not asking about fasting. They're saying, why is he even eating? Here's why. Because when he was in Matthew's house with the tax collectors, it was more than likely a Thursday night because the Pharisees and and the disciples of John, the super religious people of the day, would have fasted two times a week. It would have been on a Monday and a Thursday because their... um, because their Sabbath was on, started on Friday. So they were prob- so, so it's, it's in the context of that setting where not only is he eating with sinners, but he's eating. And he's saying, and they're like, wait, what, why, he doesn't even hang on to our religious rituals. It isn't about, fa- we fast to press into the presence of God and let his presence press into us. They fasted because it was their duty 
to put, and then they would put on, and they put on airs. They put on a show so everybody knew they were fasting. And we'll get there eventually in the Gospel of Matthew. But, but guys, understand, like, like this part is, is not about fasting. It's about, he said, they're asking him, why don't you follow the religious customs of the day? And he goes on to say in verse 15, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now understand, this bridegroom language, I mean, that word, we don't even use bridegroom. So when, when I did Mark and Chloe's wedding, I, there was the bride. Mark was not the bridegroom. I mean, he was, but he wasn't. Does that make sense? Like, we don't, we don't go, what a beautiful bride and what a handsome bridegroom. Right? We just don't. We just go, what a handsome groom. But understand, this, in their culture, the bridegroom wasn't even just a wedding thing either. The bridegroom was, was, when he calls himself the bridegroom in this point, this is some of the strongest messianic language Jesus would use. Because they understood what the, who the bridegroom was. The bridegroom was the one who was coming. The anointed one. The promised one. So this is his way of saying, I am the Messiah. He's like, and because the Messiah is here right now, we should be throwing a party. Now the day is coming when the bridegroom, when the Messiah is going to be taken away, resurrection, ascension. And at that point, we will have times of, of mourning and fast, or of fasting. But even then, it won't be steeped in the solemnness that they were doing. It was like this, woe is me, you know, I'm so sad. That's not what our fasting is supposed to look like, just the opposite. It's supposed to press us into his presence, and his presence is where we find joy. So he's saying, he's, he's saying, guys, understand what, really he's just saying, understand that I am the Messiah, and as the Messiah, I have the right to knock down your walls. And then he's just going to use two examples. The, the, this whole, um, the whole cloth and the patch and the wine, the wine and the wineskins isn't a message about whether he can, you can drink alcohol or not. It isn't a message about how best to repair broken garments. It's a message of saying, hey guys, here's two, since you don't seem to get what God's word says about how you're supposed to live, here are two very common things in their culture that you ought to be able to relate to because you're a bunch of goofballs, which was a nice way of saying an, a worse word. Like they just weren't real bright. And so he's, in some sense, almost ridiculing their intelligence by going, hey guys, for example... No one puts a piece of new cloth or unshrunken cloth or new cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and the worth the tear is made worse. Neither is the new wine put into the old wine skin. For if, it, for if it is, the skins will burst and the wine will spill out and the, skins are, and the skins are all destroyed. So it's all worthless. But put new wine into fresh wine skins so both are preserved. He's saying, guys, understand, if, if, if he... In his analogy, if he said, I'm the new wine, don't be, don't, you, when I leave here, when I go to ascend to heaven, do not worship me the way you have been worshiping the God of your own making. And you've just been calling him Yahweh. He's like, I'm doing a new thing, even as I hold on to the old thing. I'm, I came to complete the gospel. I came to complete the Old Testament. I came to fulfill is what he's saying. And so he's like, so, so take this new wine, but, but, but you, need to, you need to create a little a new structure. And he'll get there in Acts chapter 1. At the end, after the, after the resurrection, before he ascends to heaven, he's, that's the, passage, the calling passage. 
He says, when that day comes, that new wine, me, my spirit, is going to be poured into you. And you will have power to take my message to the whole world. That's Acts chapter 1-8. And, and, and the next chapter, the Holy Spirit shows up. But we're still stuck in this place of sort of the in-between of that. Here's where they were stuck, though. They were so stuck in their religious ritual that they had forgotten the one that the rituals even pointed to. Like they were, in fact, in fact, Paul never mentions, nowhere in the New Testament does it command New Testament believers to fast. The closest we get is when Jesus says something like, when you fast, don't do it this way, do it this way. Implied in the when you fast is there are going to be times of fasting. But Paul only ever talks about it in, in, an, in an almost negative sense. He's like, the, these churches that are a mess, so this is after the church has started, these churches are a mess, they're fasting, but they're fasting the old way. He's like, stop it. So, and, and here's his answer, Second, our Colossians 2.17. He says, you guys are so caught up in your ritualisticness, you're, you're like going through the motions of religion, you have forgotten that all of those motions are only meant to point to Christ. That, that ultimately, what he says in Colossians 2 is that, like, like, all of this stuff that we do religiously, the, the real reality of it, the substance of it, any part of it that mattered at all is Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. Right? It's, and so Jesus is here just saying, hey guys, you have forgotten me. You've forgotten the one that all of this points to. So here's the question, and I'm going to actually start wrapping up with this. Are we a church that is open? Now, guys, I say that, and I, and, and I get, man, some of you are hearing, back to the one and the four thing. Some of you are going, oh, my goodness, we're becoming progressive. I, I, don't, I don't mean open to anything. I mean, are, but are we a church that is willing to look at what we do and why we do it through the lens of Scripture and not through the lens of history? To just go, well, the reason this is is because my church, back, church background or our church background. Do we have things to learn from history? Are the church fathers and how they did church a good place to learn from? Absolutely. But guys, that is not the same as what the Bible says. To look at the church fathers and go, here's how they ran church, so we should too, is to, is, is to if we can't clearly go, and here's where we see that in Scripture, then we shouldn't be doing it. But there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on in the church today that isn't, some of it's unbiblical it's in the progressive churches, but some of it is just extra biblical. And the question is, are we open to some of those gray area extra, like in other words, the Bible doesn't speak to it clearly, definitively, yes or no. Are, are, we, are we willing to let the filter be the word and not just our past, ultimately is what, is what I want to know. Are we, are we because, because the Pharisees, because they were holding on. They, they get beat up a lot, and rightfully so. But they, were, they really believed they were holding on to the truth. They believed that in a culture that had gone like, over the cliff religiously and was, and was actually anti-God for the most part because of the Roman Empire, at least anti-Yahweh God, they thought they were the ones who were, like, who were the last bastion of the truth of God. They really believed that. They weren't just evil. I mean, some of them, like, they're, we're all, we all have, like, deceitfully wicked hearts. But, but ultimately, they meant it for good. I think they really thought they were doing the right thing. 
What's that have to do with us? Because, man, we can do a lot of things really believing we're doing the right thing with, without ever, because emotionally we're so connected to whatever that thing is that feels like it's getting taken away from us without ever stepping back and going, but wait a minute, hang on. So here's what I want you to do. So, so I, the, the, probably the passage that, um, that, that the Lord led me to, but that just that sort of sums this whole thing up you don't have to turn there. It's going to come up on the screen. It's, it's Revelation 22. So we started in, in the marriage supper of the Lamb in 19, at the beginning of our time. And now in Revelation 22, John writes this. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in his holy city, which is described in this book. He who testifies to these things, surely I am coming soon, says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha is what that word is. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Guys, so let me back up where we started. My story, your story, our story, the story. The story is Jesus is king. The story is Jesus gets, to, Jesus gets to decide how we worship. But part of our story, your story and my story, is figuring out what that looks like for us. Right? So, so for us, for example, like I was not raised in, I, I didn't grow up in the church, but the churches I went to were fairly, the two churches I ever attended prior to us planting this church 13 years ago were fairly typical churches. Me, what I mean by that is they had, um, you know, they, they just, they didn't have an open time of prayer. They, they had children's ministry. They had student ministries. They had all those things. None of those things are good or bad, but those things are extra biblical. But for me, because I'd grown up in that system and I had seen, even I was involved in campus ministry at Sunrise Mountain High School and, and I'd seen the power of like age segregated ministry, youth ministry, et cetera, in our, in, in our, in our own lives. I saw the power of that. I went, well, of course this works. Except that then I heard this guy speak about this idea of family integration, having the children sit with you. And the first time I heard him say something about it, it was on the radio, and I'm like, you are whacked. That is so wrong. I literally said that. That will not work. I even went and visited a couple of, there's only, there were only a couple of them in the valley at the time, a couple of family integrated churches. This was before we planted, 2005-ish. And I'm like, this is a train wreck. I don't want this. Like, this isn't what God's called us to. But, but, but then I had to stop. Carrie and I had to stop. And we had to go, but is that because that's what we grew up in? Or is it because we, because, in other words, is the reason I want to hold on to my model of church just with something like children's ministry or not? Is, am I holding on to it? Not because it's good or bad, but just because of what, how I'm holding on to it. Is it because that's what we do? Or is it because that's what the Bible says? And he led us into a place of saying, no, what, what initiated Carrie and I even, even approaching people about planting a church was that concept of, of having all, the whole family of God together. Otherwise, we would have never planted the church. But we had to let go of some stuff in order to grab hold. But let me take it to another extreme. So let's say that was a one. Just a, let's, let's take it to another extreme. A few years after we planted the church, we started having some people, all of a sudden, half the cars in our parking lot were 15 passenger vans and I am I'm, I'm children are a blessing of the Lord and I'm not making fun of big families I'm just saying I got to a point where I'm like stop it I literally was praying please no more no more why because I 
I didn't believe that God had called us to be known as that church. Family integration was just a tool. It wasn't, it wasn't the means to the end. But when people started saying stuff like, unless you homeschool your kids, you're not really discipling them, I had issues. I had to go to them and say, maybe you need to let go of some stuff to make room for the gospel. And many of those people have left us over the years. My point is, the, my wrestle our wrestle as a family was, has, is wrestling through. What are we holding on to that is religion and what is the word? Whether it's family, for us, maybe it was family integrated faith 13 years ago, 15, 14 years ago. For you, maybe it's something else. But, but we have to recognize that that can be a real problem for us because the only thing that matters the, only, the, the church gathers because Christ is king and his mission is to see people come to faith in him, Amen. Amen. right? And so well, our, our lens has to be that. It's why, so my job and just talking about the church today is my job is to talk about the mission of Cross Train Church. So the mission that we exist to bring glory to God by training people to teach God's truth in the context of redemptive community. Now, that wasn't always the way we worded the mission. It's always what we've been about. But what led to that? What led to three years ago, us going from Cornerstone Church to Cross Train? Here's what led to it. COVID. We couldn't gather anymore for a while. We had no place to meet. And in that eight weeks, and we're doing, I'm looking at a camera trying to share the word with you guys online, and it was horrendous. And my, but my heart was, our, the, our, your leader's heart was, where, where are our people? I don't mean physically, I mean spiritually. Are they okay? In a world that was scary and, and crazy and all the things that were going on, we're like, yeah, but, but are, have we done a good enough job of doing that? Have we done a good enough job that if we were never allowed to gather again, that the people could take, that our, the people that God has charged us with to shepherd could take the word of God, just the word of God, no other stud, no, no other thing, just the word and the Holy Spirit and use it to reach their unsaved neighbor. Could, you, could they do that? And the, and the sad reality was probably not. Now, three years later, we haven't figured out the, all the X's and O's of how to make that happen. But that's the mission, right? The, 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 we are in cross train is an ever evolving, glorious mess. He is the glory. We are the mess. Because what we're trying to do is say, let's be open to what the Spirit has for us in how to reach this particular culture at this particular time with the truth of the gospel. And so with that on how to do that, I'm going to invite, I think it's John up next, to talk a little bit about what the vision of the church is. Do I have a mic? There we go. You know, um, the way that we accomplish that, the mission, you know, through the vision it's in a, in a single word that's kind of been the theme of my life for the last few weeks, and it's relationships. And um, one of the, the, the only scripture the Lord brought to mind was Luke 10, 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Um, I could have picked a lot of different ones, but when we're talking about, um, you know, loving God and connecting to Christ, you know, that's, that's been our whole MO, and just to the point that Doug just made, that we need to be, 
you know, in our Bibles, understanding what it says, not just taking our words, you know, our word of what we say up here on any given day, but understanding that that is going to be the thing. The Lord's word, his spirit living inside of you, connecting to Christ, and then onto that second one. I, I kind of, in my little brain, um, put all those together, you know, loving people and being in community and making disciples. If you guys aren't in a, in a D group, you know, as part of this vision of what we see for what's going on here in our little body here at Cross Train, is you need to be in with people who um, can love and support you, just to the point, you know, the abrils left, but they're plugged into a church that they have people that they can, that are reaching out to them and they're reaching out to to get help, and that's that vision. So, I hope that makes sense what I'm saying there. It's just, it's an exciting model to, to know that you, you have people, that people have your back. And uh, so the relationships in that are built through those discipleship groups. And of course, here on Sundays, you know, as we talk, as far as planting churches and expanding the kingdom, you guys need to know that your leadership's hearts and desires is absolutely to be able to do that. The challenge is that the Lord hasn't raised anybody up to this point in our body over the years to say, hey, hey, I want to do that. But know this, that since day one, that uh, leadership has set aside funds, and we have, I don't know how much money, but quite a bit of funds set aside for such a time as that, that if some, when, when the Lord brings somebody forward, this little body has the means to help them get a healthy launch, that that's not one of the stresses that they're going to have initially when they're um, starting something like that up. So uh, he's just been very, very gracious with us that way. So with that, I'm going to bring up Brian, and he's going to talk about, what's Brian talking about? I forget. Commitment. Values. That's right. Thanks, John. As you mentioned, I'm Brian. Um, pleasure to serve as one of the elders as well. And I was asked to spot, talk about values. There's two things we value most in walking with others as we walk with Christ. I think they're up there. Um, one, the word of God is the primary redemptive power to guide the souls of people. That means uh, soul of scripture is really important, right? And it was really, it was really, I'd be careful not to make a whole pass, a whole message just based on that. But scripture is the perfect and only standard of spiritual truth. And in Second uh, Peter one nineteen, it says, "And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will." do well to pay attention as to the lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So scripture is the highest and supreme authority on any matter in which it speaks. And through that scripture is how we are saved. And through that redemptive power of Christ, the spirit in us, we get to be a family. And seems crazy when you when you think about it we have to look at it we've talked about it in my family I'm not gonna lie hopefully they're not watching some of my family's crazy all right <laughs> be careful don't laugh because some of us are crazy too right so we have a crazy family that we get to deal with and that we get frustrated with right but that's family and we have to love that family and care for that family. And because of the power of the Spirit in us and the redemptive word that we now have because of that, we are a community of family members. Um, two, the family of God or church as a primary redemptive plan for the world. 
So we believe the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to transform the people of God and unite that family of God into the image of the Son of God so that we might reveal the glory of God to see people come into the kingdom of God. All for the glory of God, right? So together, we are being built with Christ. And 1 Peter 2 says, "As As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of, a God, of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So it can be hard, right? Challenge yourselves. I'm asking you right now to challenge yourselves to be together. And... I can attest to that. It's hard. I get it. We are probably the farthest outside of Brenda over here who lives across the street. Oh, no. Sorry. My bad. Our cast of grand peeps over there. So I can't complain too much. I only have 30 minutes to drive. But we see that they're here. The Paros are here every Sunday, almost every Sunday. We we have an opportunity to... It it can be hard to serve other people inside the church. It... It's a little bit harder for us to get up to the Abrils to bring a meal, to, but we do it today. We plan. We have an opportunity to serve, and we, the, the point of that passage in First Peter is that we are stones chosen by God, and we are building. He is our foundation. He is the foundation, the cornerstone, and we, we have an opportunity to serve one another, love one another, live together, even though we live in different parts of the community, it's not all North Peoria, North Glendale here, we have people who are like-minded, who live all over this valley, who come here, and we get to be a family. There was no, there'd be no other way to do that had it not been for Christ in us, right? Amen? So, again, I challenge, I'll leave you with this, and then we'll call RJ up. Challenge yourselves to be together for the right reasons, to glorify God. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's starting out well. (laughs) Um, As Brian said, I'm RJ. I also have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at Crosstrain. Our calling. So I'm going to start where we actually usually end of our service each day, which is Matthew 28. And it said, Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. I'm going to skip. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that is the core of what we do. Um, One thing I wanted to share is, as you see the four elders come up with Doug, who is also an elder, but I'm setting him aside because as he has mentioned, he and Carrie, following the calling that God gave them, the ideal to start a church, he also is the one that started the classes the training center. Back in the day before we had the training center here, we had the training center in a fire station. I believe all four of the other elders were in that group. All four of your other elders and and Doug came from the plant. We had been together a long time and we all have grown a lot through those years. So um, I'm going to come back to Word Centered in just a second. But here are the five things we see to become as our strengths, uh, essential to, uh, to become a mature trainer. Word-centered, I'll come back to that. 
Prayer directed. You now just saw this morning, for those that are here, how prayer is part of our service. Discipleship driven. Walking in word-centered relationships. Um, I don't believe the Edwards are here today, but Josh and Jolene started a young adults back during the COVID days. Guess what? That group's no longer together under Josh and Jolene. Two of the couples in that group have gone out and have started their own group. Josh invested in them, having them teach out of the word of God on their Monday night groups to grow them into a point they are now teaching and leading mostly the same group, but they're doing it out on their own, no longer under the Edwards discipleship. Service-oriented. If I don't do it, but if I ask people to stand up who um, serve here in some manner, you're going to see 75% of this facility stand up. Whether it's in the music team, whether it's in the greeters as you came in, some way we all, almost all, are serving. And mission-focused. Engaged in the mission to make disciples and plant churches. And I'm not going to hit on the plant churches. Uh, John did that. But we are engaged into making disciples, and that is going back to the training center, as well as what Taylor and Farron are doing down in Mexico. It may not be a church yet. Maybe that's where our church plant comes from. But it is there. But I want to go back to the word-centered, because I believe this is core to everything. Um, I can talk to my own walk. We've talked through, if Doug would have expanded a little more, his walk in the word-centered, and... 10 plus, oh no, you're longer than that, 20 years, that he has not missed a day of reading and responding in the Word. Okay, I'm not near that good. I've been reading in the Word for about 17 years, but I haven't, I'll admit, I have missed a few days. So, um, but the church plant. So, a little bit about my story and how I came to Cross Train. Um, so, it started way back, Doug, every Sunday telling us we needed to be in the Word, reading the Word every day. I started in Luke. That told me to get engaged. My engagement then led to the finance. I was asked to part in the finance team. And I said, yes. Well, guess what? I never prayed about it. So I went back, prayed about it, read my Bible. Guess where I opened my Bible the next morning was Romans 12. And so I engaged in the finance. Jumped forward many years, even coming to here. I feel like I've been called. Um, about a year ago, I went through where I really challenged my role here. Um, I just felt like I didn't quite fit in as an elder. I came from corporate America. I approached church from a very business perspective, um, which isn't always good for teaching. But on February 25th of last year, 1 Corinthians says, For consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. I really didn't get involved in my Bible until about, I've been sitting here adding this up, I think about 17 years ago. Um, and I would have never guessed I would have been up here even speaking for this little bit today, let alone teaching a sermon as I periodically do, and all of your elders do. But what I wrote was, consider your calling not wise according to worldly standards. I was called into doing this for the church. It started with finance to elder, and I believe something else is coming. God just hasn't revealed it as of yet. Not wise. I never have felt, none of your leadership, I believe, have gone, except for Doug, has gone through uh, seminary school. So just 
we have just rely on the faith of God. Then where it kind of settled up for me was in March 22nd of last year, and it says, the foot should say, because I am not at hand, I do not belong to that body. That would make it any less important part of the body. And so that really helped solidify me that even though I felt very different from the rest of the elders, because I do approach things much differently, I do run the business side of the church here. Um, I was just as important as they were. And that's what God put in my heart. And I haven't looked back. I have continued to move forward. But I want to go back and just say, we were all called. If I go back far enough in my journals, I can find where, you know, I'll, I also wasn't going to say this, but I am going to say this. We have raised up elders through this church many times over the years. And several times back, when they raised up elders, I sat and thought, well, why not me? That right there should tell you why not me. That was a pride issue. When Doug approached me then several years ago and says, hey, I think you should become the elder, it was like, well, why me? <laughs> Very different subtleties. But God's the one then that took it through much prayer and consideration. And we, had a, we were still doing the church camps, and there was a group of us with the Johnsons, the Morrises, the Dawkuses, Carrie and Doug and us, we sat in a room up there talking about all of our concerns about becoming elders. Now, Doug and Jeff were elders already. But the other three of us had much reservations. And we didn't come into this willingly. We did this because God called us. So with that, I'm going to leave it there. And Jeff Dawkins is up next to wrap us up. Thanks, RJ. So, happy anniversary. A lot of woos from the young adults table there. That's great. I want to talk to you guys a little bit about commitment and what it means here at Crosstrain. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you something up front. The dictionary definition of commitment reads, an act of committing to a charge or trust. So it seems pretty on the surface easy, right? Well, let's play this out. Let me read this story to you. Though skeptical of his teenage son's newfound determination to build bulging muscles, one father followed his teenager to the store's weightlifting department where they admired a set of weights. Please, Dad, pleaded the teen. I promise I'll use them every day. Well, I don't know, Michael. It's really a commitment on your part, the father said. Please, Dad! Well, they're not cheap either, the father said. I'll use them, Dad. I promise. I will use them. You'll see. Well, finally, one over the father paid for the equipment and then headed to the door. A few steps later, his son was heard saying, wait, you want me to carry these out to the car? You see, the problem we have is that we forget that the words and the thoughts have action, Right? By show of hands, and RJ kind of touched on it, who was here when we planted day one? Look around. It's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Now, put your hands down. There is a sense of commitment. And for those of you who are here, some of you, I just met my friends here for the first time today. Some of you, when, when you're committed to a local church, good things happen. When you're committed to the capital C church, better things happen because you're committed to Christ, okay? 
And so our commitment, as you can see on the screen here, we have created the space, we've set the structure that can be used to facilitate discipleship training. The commitment that we made was based on the idea that we have a core, and then we have committed people, we have congregation, we have community, we have these, these ascending circles, and we've had them up on the screen before. And these circles lead to a point. If you look top down, it's, it's kind of like a mountain that builds up, and in the pinnacle is, is your, this, this core group of men and women and kids that all want to be committed to the idea of following Christ wholeheartedly at the reckless abandonment of everything else. That's important. So that's our pillar for that. When you, you read up there, it says, foster the gospel. And, and we want to be a community that shares and shows the presence of Christ. Just yesterday, I was telling the guys, I'm part of a, a, a men's fellowship group, and I decided we would have the group here. So we had 25 guys all meeting here. And in the middle of that, we had people coming from near Casa Grande. We had people coming from broken homes. We had two men confess to broken marriages. We had two people accept Christ for the first time in this building. Yeah. And, yeah. And listen, the reason, and you should rightly applaud, and here's why. The, the commitment that we have to Christ is that we have a space, we always talk about this, we have a space open and accessible to people to use for God's glory. The obedience is for Christ. It's for us to Christ. And so knowing that I have a key and I know the alarm code, I said, hey, I got a place we can meet, right? And by facilitating that space, we as a church here at Crosstrain have done some some amazing things. We're able to, Sean, jump in if I'm misspeaking, but we don't have to tear down music stuff and set it up every week, right? Amen, that's a praise right there, right? We have, we have training centers, and RJ has talked about it. We've had a pathway, and that leads us into that third point, to provide the leadership shepherding that's a sacrificial, service-oriented, shaping hearts kind of place, our commitment to you as a church. And so if you're just hearing it for the first time, our commitment as a church is to provide a structure where if you come in and you say, you know what, Jeff? I'm digging everything you're saying. What do I do next? Wouldn't that be a great question to ask? I would, I would love that. I'd say, okay, well, let me tell you what's next. And then I would go back there and I'd say, because one of the, the handouts is the training program. And it clearly defines a path to travel. So if you are new or you want to learn more, we talk about these three different levels of training. We talk about groups you're involved with. We help shepherd and prepare in, as John said, relationships in redemptive community, a way to lead D groups which we call discipleship groups. It's just essentially getting together to break down God's word in a more intimate context. See, that's the goal. Our goal of being committed is that, one, we are committed to Christ. Because guess what? When someone said yesterday in this group, and I, I had to check them on it, someone said, it's great. Jesus did these things. He died for our sins. And because of that, we can be happy. And that's the point. And I said, that's not the point. Jesus came, and all this stuff is in obedience to his Father. Jesus is the point. If he saves us, amen, as Kim said. Obedience to the Father is the point. We want to be a committed, and we are a committed group of people who are obedient to our master first. Our master first, to each other second. And it is a joy since walking through, when it was just Doug and I walking through covid and getting the other elders on board, it has been a joy to serve in this way. And I'll leave you with this before I call Brian back up. We read a quote in uh, a book years ago, and it said, the church of God is run by tired and exhausted men. 
faithful in purpose, and committed to task. That is your leadership team. If you have questions, I encourage you, turn the bulletin over. You can see all of our contact information from elders to deacons to ministry leaders is clearly posted. We welcome conversation. It's my personal cell. We have email addresses. You can see our website. You can find the information. The issue is, are you going to be the kid that says, wait a minute, I want to lift weights, but I don't want to carry them? Let's be strong in our faith. Amen. Brian, where are you? Get up here. Thank you. One thing I want to point out real quick. I said something. Just for the record, I love myself in that same crazy boat, okay? I don't think I said that. <laughs> All right. Um, It's an honor today, uh, and I'm going to call them up in just a moment, but it's an honor today because, I said, 13 years ago, we started this church, and 12 years ago, I was sitting, my wife and I were sitting in the Troyer's house talking, and he said, Doug said, hey, I want you, I want you to be the uh, deacon over compassion. I literally started laughing. And I think Lori started laughing too. Like, because if you know me, I'm not the most compassionate guy in the world. But, but God, he has, uh, I do believe he has a sense of humor because he can bring people to put people in positions that you wouldn't think you're suitable for. Um, I'm not talking about you, Scott. Don't worry. I'm talking about someone else, but who's more like me. <laughs> but, um, we're going to be standing up two new deacons today. And before I bring them up here, I want to read um, from Acts 6, where we get the first conversation about deacons. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. If you guys would come up now with me, please. Scott and Mo and Mimi, please come up too. We have the other elders come up as well. We see the establishment of deacons as help to the elders. The elders' responsibility was to be serving in the sense of, of teaching the word, and, and they had a lot of responsibility of ministering to the souls. They, but the deacons had a huge responsibility, too, to be directly ministering to those who need help. And it wasn't that 
waiting tables and helping other people was uh, a lesser thing. They just, the elders had a big responsibility on their shoulders. And, and I attest that after being an elder for a couple of years, it, it is a huge weight on our shoulders. And if it wasn't for these two guys here and the other deacons we have, it would be much harder to do anything um, as an elder. So um, they've now, it's been a year and a half, a um, little over a year and a half, they've been stood up as uh, ministry leads. Today, uh, we, it was uh, about a month ago, we talked about it, that with the, and the elder team, that man, we need to get them, they need to be stood up as deacons, officially as deacons, because they've gone through a time of testing, and we've seen in elder meetings talking about what we see these two men do along with their wives, and sorry, Tracy's not here today. She had a prior commitment that she couldn't get out of um, but to see uh, these two men and their wives side by side with them, helping them and, and these men leading their wives and just the opportunity to come alongside them and see the questions that they ask and, and turn those back on them and watch them answer the questions and be able to see the spirit working inside them is amazing. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I have more, I'm a little closer with Mo. no offense, Scott, but... <laughs> Mo and I have, I directly oversee him. That's the only reason why. Um, so, but I hear everything that Scott's doing as well, and it's exciting to see people wanting to serve and, and lead in that way. So one more passage I'm going to read before we stand here and pray over them, just so you know what the qualifications of deacons are. That's in 1 Timothy 3. Deacons. Likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greeted, greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, which we've done. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Like I said, uh, we can all, four of us, five of us elders can attest to see the growth in these men and their wives staying alongside them and supporting them in this, in this new venture. And... Um, we just, we're going to stand them up now and pray over them as they did in Acts. And we will. I can't. Yeah, you can. All right. I try. Sorry, Scott, I tried. We'll go to the side. <laughs> Father God, we come before you now just humbly thanking you that we get to serve you through this small church called Cross Train, Lord. We thank you that 13 years ago you established this church and you put um, those of us here who are still here and others who are not here with us, Lord, to um, start a church in North Peoria, Glendale, um, that would glorify you and serve um, you, Lord, by serving others. Lord, we thank you now that as 13 years later we're standing up two new deacons, Lord, that have their own testimony of faith in you 
and a whole, each individually have a different walk that you led them to you in, Lord. And we, both are awesome stories and, and awesome testimonies to your faithfulness in us, Lord. God, we, we thank you that now we get to hold them up and raise them up to serve you in an official capacity, as a, in a title, Lord. Not that, not that they needed the title, but you call us to, to put them here, Lord. We thank you and we praise your name. We, we pray for uh, peace among them um, and with their wives, because we know in, in this right now, just standing here on this stage, professing you, and professing you through a, through a title even, that the enemy does not like it, Lord. And there will be more times of testing, and in the enemy, we know, prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to devour, Lord. We pray um, for the spiritual armor that we all need for these two men, and all of us here, um, as we prepare for attacks from the enemy, Lord. But knowing fully that you are in control, and that you are growing them and sanctifying them in those attacks. Lord, but most of all, that you get the glory and that, and that they will um, just glorify you in all that they do, humbly serving you and your people, Lord. It's with my great honor I say amen to these two men that you've raised up as deacons, God. Amen. Amen. you all stand.